Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. What's up, guys? Welcome to the latest episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. We are excited to welcome Tyler Jackson to the show today. I think listeners are thoroughly going to enjoy Tyler's baseball journey, which saw three stops at Division I schools and one stop at a junior college program in South Carolina. Tyler capped off his college baseball career by going 9-1 with a 3.56 ERA for the Clemson Tigers as a graduate school fifth-year senior. In his final appearance in a Tigers uniform, Jackson helped Clemson avoid elimination with a three-hit complete game shutout over SEC foe Vanderbilt University. He spent the last two seasons in the Seattle Mariners organization where he reached as high as AAA. He's currently a free agent and training with Eric Cressy down in Florida. Tyler, thanks for joining us on the podcast today, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's good to uh, get on here with you and talk a little bit. Yeah, man. I mean, um, our paths obviously crossed at USC Upstate for two years of your baseball career. Um You've had an incredibly unique college baseball career and pro experience even. Why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about your baseball career, where all you've been, and, and how you got to be where you are today. Right. So if I could sum up my whole career even to this point from the beginning of the recruiting process all the way up to pro ball, it's been all over the place. I've been here, there, and everywhere. I guess my starting point will be as a kid, I always wanted to play professional baseball. It's just one of those things that, you know, you grow up, you want to be an astronaut, uh, NFL star president. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And you didn't, you honestly, didn't want to give uh, being president a shot? Uh, I honestly, that's too much pressure, man. I don't think <laughs> that's something for me. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so I played multiple sports growing up. Played basketball and baseball were my two biggest sports. Dabbled in football a little bit, but I was like, I'm skinny and lanky. I'm going to break every bone in my body if I played <laughs> that. So I played that for a couple of years and gave that up after middle school. Gotcha. But, um, you know, coming up, I knew that I had a knack for either basketball or baseball, and I kind of stuck with the two all the way through high school up until sophomore year of high school when I really – started to, you know, break away from the group in baseball. And I was like, okay, I think I have like a legit chance to 
make something big out of this. So I took all my energy and put it into baseball and quit playing basketball. And that was at the time a huge step for me because I enjoyed basketball so much and attribute so much of my athleticism and, you know, just knowing my body from playing different sports. So, um, you know, I come from an athletic background and my parents and they played sports coming up through school and college as well. So they pushed me to do everything that I possibly could. But um, yeah, so came up playing multiple sports and then just decided to kind of just focus on baseball after sophomore year of high school. Awesome. And uh, before we get into your college stops, which we'll definitely do, let's take it back to those high school days. Uh, how did you know you wanted to play college baseball? And, and what were some of your college goals as soon as you realized that? Well, like I said, um, I played basketball and baseball in high school. Uh, played varsity from freshman year in both sports. So I was like, okay, I'm going to ride this out and see which one starts to, you know, kind of pave a clear path for me as far as college and pro ball right so that freshman year in baseball just so you know people can compare I was anywhere from 81 to 84 miles an hour um and you know pretty solid for that age group and started to progress from there on into sophomore year and um started to get interest my freshman year the first letter I ever received for baseball was from Arizona State University I got that mid-year of my freshman year uh still this day one of the biggest regrets i have is not taking a visit out there to even see it because once i got out there for spring training after i signed with seattle i saw how beautiful it was and how good of a program it was because it's right next to our spring training facility so um it's still to this day kind of irks me but um started getting interest. I was like, okay, I'm not getting this interest in basketball yet. You know, I'm still going to ride out basketball maybe another year and see if maybe I start to get more interest. Maybe baseball recruiting starts earlier. And then I started getting, you know, all the big schools around sophomore year with baseball and basketball just kind of trickling along. And I was like, okay, I, I know which route I need to take now. So um, that was my cue to kind of just take all my energy and focus towards baseball. So like you said that, you know, you always wanted to be a baseball player. And so, you know, as you progressed and you saw the way you were developing, that just that became more clear and you decided that, that should be your primary focus. Yes. And I do highly recommend kids play as many sports as possible. But there is that point, you know, early high school where it is important to kind of take a step back and lay everything out and be like, okay, what do I realistically have the best shot with as far as what sport? And that came and went for me, and I had to make that decision. It wasn't easy because obviously I had a lot of friends that were playing basketball still, right. and it was the cool thing, you know, run out pregame and then, you know, be playing in the game with all the students there because kids came to more basketball games than baseball games in high school. Sure. But, um, you know, at the time it was big for me, but now looking back, it was the best decision that I ever made for my baseball career. Yeah. I think you hit on a good point there, right? So it's a very individual decision for each person. So it, what it seems like to me and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, your goals kind of aligned with 
you know, focusing on baseball when you saw that potential. It might be different for another kid who has different goals, but you had your eyes set on playing at the highest level and playing pro ball from an early age. And so that was what made sense to you at the time. Yes, of course. And I was uh, do it 100% and like get the best out of it or nothing or not do it at all. So I didn't want to waste my time. Right. I, it was something like, I'm not just going to go to some community college, small school. I'm going to go to the biggest school and then get drafted and go and play, you know, in the big leagues and, you know, just blow it out. So right. I, I took all my time and effort that I have once I made that decision and focused on baseball. And that's what it takes, honestly, because it's like it gets more intense year by year with kids and training and um, that's why I say play multiple sports when you're young, because I know that the injuries are rising each year. The more people isolate training to one sport and specific training. Um, so do what you want until you get right there around high school. But once you start getting into sophomore year, even at the end of freshman year, start kind of honing in on what you can see yourself really excelling at. Okay. So, so for you, your goals are pretty clear. So how did you attack the recruiting process? What was your plan? How how did you decide you wanted to make these uh, goals turn into a reality? My initial plan was I wanted to visit as early as possible, make a commitment earlier rather than later, because I'm the type of person that wants stuff done now. That's also my fault mm-hmm. and my weakness because – I sometimes want to, you know, if it's something I'm working in my baseball game, I want to fix it now, now, now. And it doesn't work like that all the time. And sometimes I end up doing more harm than good with that. So I was the same way with the recruiting process. And then I had um, a couple people that had gone through the process who were older than me that were playing college ball or who were retired from pro ball. And they were like, you need to take your time and visit as many places as possible get a good feel for the strength programs, the throwing programs, um, what your classes are going to be like, and go and see where you can, you know, feel like you're going to be comfortable. So, you know, you're able to play at your best and sleep the best when you're in your dorm room or in your apartment and be in a city that you like. So um, after speaking to people, that kind of changed my mindset. So um, I was able to go and kind of, you know, take it easy rather than my initial plan of trying to get it done as quickly as possible. Yeah. And how did that end up working out for you? Walk us through kind of how, how you went from that mindset of, I want to get this done early to, you know, taking your time a little bit more. How did that play out in the recruiting process? Your first stop in college baseball was at University of South Carolina. So how did you end up choosing to play there? Long story. So I grew up a Clemson fan. My older brother, Eric, went to Clemson as just a regular student. He's a civil engineer. Mm -hmm. Um, So grew up right next to Clemson, wanted to go there. And they are one of the top baseball schools in the country. So, you know, why not? It's close to home and it's one of the top schools. So and it's also a great degree. So I was sold on it from the beginning. Um, Went to a camp there freshman year when I was throwing well for my age and got a lot of interest and was like, okay, I'm, this is in the bag. This is where I'm going to go pretty much set everything else down. 
and then kind of cruised on into sophomore year and I didn't make much of a jump in, you know, my uh, arsenal, my pitching arsenal. And um, they kind of started to back off a little bit. And I was like, oh, geez, this isn't good. I kind of got comfortable a little bit. So I kind of took a step back again and was like, okay, this is where I step away from basketball, focusing on baseball because I have a shot, but I'm also starting to see what's going to happen if I don't start putting in more time with it. Right. So solely focused on baseball. Clemson kind of dropped off. That just gave me an extra chip on my shoulder to, you know, get after it. And um, because so, I had got so, – I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, but so were you committed to Clemson at any point in time or just they were expressing interest? It was – sort of a mutual thing I was so young and they didn't want to commit me so early it was one of those things that they're like we don't want to commit you so early because you're so young and this was also years ago so I know now that they're they're doing that that's very common to commit a freshman right but um you know then it was more like okay we're showing a lot of interest you just keep progressing the way that you are and we'll just kind of you know it'll be an unwritten you know thing that later down the road we'll we'll sign something but right now we're just kind of talking okay so they so, so they're heavy on the interest and there's kind of this ag- agreement that if you keep progressing you know something good's going to happen and they're going to they're going to end up signing you exactly okay so what happens you you said you kind of stall out in your development or you get a little complacent and and you said they started to back off a little bit I did, yes. So I went in and played my sophomore year and hadn't made any jump in velocity with my fastball, which is huge in recruiting, I have to say. And they just kind of started to back off a little bit, take a step back because they're like, oh, well, you know, he's the same guy that he was last year. And they're like, "Um, we're going to back off a little bit. And they told me that, which I appreciate because, you know, let me know where I stood. Right. Um, And then because I had gotten that interest from Clemson, that automatically gave me interest from the other big schools because it's like if, you know, Clemson's going to show him interest, he's got to be good enough to play with us too. So then I started getting some interest from Georgia. I got interest from South Carolina. You know, they're the rival. My coach in high school played at South Carolina, Randy Thompson. He was a shortstop back in the day there. He wanted me to go there because it's his old school. So, um, when Clemson started to back off, he jumped in and was like, hey, go down and check out South Carolina. And that was like sack religion to me. Yeah. Because Clemson, South Carolina in this area is like a religion. So doing that was a big no-no growing up. So um, ended up going to a camp down there sophomore year in the winter for their winter camp and pitched very well and started having conversations with them. And then that kind of progressed on – through the spring when I played my sophomore year and into the summer. And that's when I started to really kind of blow it out of the water with that summer going into junior year. And then that whole junior year of school ball was the best year I had had to that date. And my fastball had jumped from dedicating that whole off season to baseball without basketball. I think I was anywhere from, 85 to 88 as a junior and that just continued to progress into my senior year but during that junior year that's when I received my offer from South Carolina from coach Holbrook who was the recruiting coordinator there at the time and they were actually on their way to the college world series to play Florida 
and it was kind of like a perfect storm because they were the best team in the country at the time. It was the same day that they went to go win that national championship. They won that championship after I had committed that previous afternoon. So it was just kind of like all the stars and lights were right there in my face. And why not? Because the school that I, you know, had grown up wanting to go to, I was like, okay, this isn't an option for me. And I had kind of fallen in love with South Carolina after going down there to camp. And once you're at camp, they show you around if you're like someone they, that they want. And I actually, you know, got pretty comfortable with the area. And it's also close to home. Columbia is only like two hours from home. So, right. You know, so both of these schools, Clemson and South Carolina, are right in your backyard. And, yes, they are. And so now you're committed to South Carolina on a verbal. And how did that play out? Was there any surprises after your commitment um, or was it smooth sailing the rest of the recruiting process? Again, so it's all over the place from the beginning and it just doesn't get any better as far as it being all over the place. It's a constant story to this day. I committed that afternoon and that was on a Friday. And the next day I was going to pitch at Clemson, ironically. And I showed up to the park and everyone was being, you know, really congratulatory towards me for what I'd done. Cause Carolina had just won the national championship. I just committed and everyone was really happy. It was a really awesome experience. And then I go to pitch in that game. Didn't even pitch like lights out. I guess I was still on a high from the commitment. I didn't do bad or anything. It was just kind of mediocre. And that was um, at a camp or that was just a game or? It was a showcase game. It was like a tournament that was being held over at Clemson. Okay. So um, I went and pitched in that game. We were playing an East Cobb team. So it was a pretty highly recruited game and I pitched in that game and afterwards coach Leggett who was the head coach at Clemson at the time came up to me afterwards and asked me if I would be interested in a scholarship and it caught me off guard and I had no idea what to think what to say but after a couple of seconds I was just like I'm not even interested to hear your offer because I got so upset when they turned away from me earlier and I built such a relationship with South Carolina and they, you know, threw the red carpet out for me and had done everything in the world that I could possibly ask of them. And I just didn't want to turn my back on Carolina. Like I felt Clemson had done me at the time. So, so you're all in it. You're all in at Carolina and you, you tell Clemson as much. Yes, of course. And that, that's just kind of how I've been my whole life. If someone, you know, treats me how I want to be treated and, you know, I, I want someone who's going to do me like I'm going to treat them. I want them to, you know, treat me the same way. So I saw that with South Carolina and I didn't want to stray from that at all. Okay. So, so you commit to Carolina the next day, you get an offer from Clemson and you turn that down. Uh, anything else happened between the time that time and when you showed up to uh, campus at Carolina as a freshman? No, once I had uh, committed, the other schools pretty much just backed off because, you know, at That's the time, South Carolina was the best program. And my travel coach even joked, he was like, I was speaking to another school, smaller school the other day, and they were like, yeah, we want 
Tyler, but we're not even going to try talking to him because we can't beat that program that he's already committed to. So right. everyone just kind of started to back off, honestly, which I understand, but yeah, which uh, is, you know, I was pretty sold. Yeah. That's, and that's the norm for those listening out there. Um, that's kind of the gentleman's agreement between college baseball coaches, which is much different from, uh, let's say a, a sport like football where there's soft yes. commitments and hard commitments and in college baseball, your word is your word. So the way it's supposed to happen is as soon as you commit to a school and you let everyone know, all the other schools are supposed to back off and stop recruiting you. Yes, I agree. Um, it is different from other sports. So don't get it confused like football, because once you do commit somewhere with baseball, other schools will stop showing interest. It's sort of like a mutual respect thing. Yeah. So that that was something that was told to me by the mentors that I had. And that was an example that they gave me. They were like, as soon as you commit somewhere, you better know you're going there because you're not going to get interest from anybody else. Once you commit, everyone else is going to back off. Right. All right. So your 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 recruitment rolls along and you end up at South Carolina. What surprised you about playing college baseball at the D1 level and in the SEC? You know, what what happened when you got to South Carolina? Was there anything that made the transition really difficult? Because you spent a year there and then ended up transferring. So break down that first year at, you know, this powerhouse program. Okay. I ended up going to South Carolina early. I enrolled in the summer at the bigger schools that have the money, you know, to bring in multiple guys early. And I believe there were four of us that went in and started classes the 1st of July. Okay. And we went ahead and knocked out a class because they were like, you know, sometimes you get caught up in your freshman year. Once everybody gets here, you slack in a class and end up needing to drop one. Um, and if you do, especially in baseball season, taking this one class over the summer, you're going to really be grateful that you did it. Um, and then long story short, I ended up doing that. So I was very glad that I enrolled early, ended up getting in that extra time in the weight room, more one-on-one -on -one time with Billy Anderson, who's the strength coach at South Carolina, and, you know, got a little bit of a head start. So once everybody else got there, I was ahead of the game. So um, when I got there, just how they ran that program because of coming off of two national championships back to back. It was like robots almost the guys that played there when we went through drills, like nobody messed up. Like I was almost for the first two weeks of practice when we were actually throwing and, you know, doing PFPs and all that stuff. I was so nervous to like throw a ball away on accident or like, bobble a ground ball hit back to me or something because nobody messed up but that was something that I appreciated because it held me to the highest standard possible so I put in 100% into everything that I did because nobody slacked because when you're under that microscope that you are after having such a successful program it makes you give your all in everything that you do so I learned a lot from that honestly yeah, and, and that's a really good point for people out there listening. You know, these these top programs in the country, your perennial top 10 teams, top 25 teams, the quality of the baseball is, is off the charts. And as a freshman, you know, it's a huge step up from 
any high school program. Would you say that's accurate? Yes, 100%. Okay, so you, you get to South Carolina and you realize, man, these guys around me are pretty good. What, you know, you spent a year there and it didn't work out. What happened and, and what did you do next? I played the whole fall season and did pretty well, but they had, you know, as you could understand, that group of guys that were still there that had won that national champ championship for them, they had that, you know, we kind of owe them the playing time. They've done well. They're going to get the first shot type of deal. And I wasn't one of the top recruits coming in either. So I wasn't going to get the playing time that I was hoping for. And luckily coach Holbrook being the wonderful guy that he is, I have the utmost respect for him. He called me in midway through season in the spring after we had already started and was like, if you don't pitch by the end of next week, which was the midpoint of season, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to redshirt so you don't waste this year. Right. Um, and that was something that he wanted me to think about. I thought about it for a couple of days and just another hard pill to swallow. So I redshirted myself right there that next week, midway through season because he was like, you either do it or I'll go ahead and throw you, but you're probably only going to see like 10 innings this year. Right. And so, you know, he advised me, he was like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. So I talked to some people and, you know, to this day, I'm so thankful that I did that because I would have never played at Clemson after playing with you at Upstate and got the opportunity that I have with Seattle to play professional ball. Okay, so you redshirt, and then when is the decision made to transfer? Is that something that they suggested that you do, or is that a decision that you made yourself? That came at midway through summer, right after the professional baseball mm -hmm. draft, right after MLB draft. Coach Holbrook called me again, and I was in the middle of summer ball playing in the Coastal Plains League down in Florence for the Red Wolves. And he called me and we play every night. It's just like minor league ball. So I didn't really get to watch the draft much. And he called me and was like, I need you to drive to Columbia tomorrow. We need to talk. And I was like, okay, I didn't really think much of it because I just, you know, re-signed my um, scholarship for the following season, actually a couple nights before that. Okay. So I drove in. And he was like, we have a couple guys coming in that we expected to sign in the draft and they aren't going to sign. So they're going to come in and I'm going to be honest with you that they're probably going to play over you. Just for the sole fact of one of them was a first rounder, one of them was a second rounder. So me at the time throwing 88 to 91 I'm not going to play over a kid coming in that's first, second round or throw in 93 to 96. Right. So he was like, I'm going to advise you now to transfer. He's like, you can stay, but I know you want to play pro ball and it's not going to happen here because you're not going to start it. You're going to come out of the bullpen and you're not going to get the innings that you need to sign professionally. He was like, so 
if you still want to play pro ball, you might want to transfer, or you can stay and just get your degree and go get a normal job. But that was not something I wanted to do. So I had to swallow my pride and say, okay, well, what do you suggest I do for Juco ball? And then he suggested going to USC Lancaster, which is where I ended up going because it was a sister school. My credits, everything transferred over easy, easily because it was the same curriculum. And the pitching coach there, Coach Williams, was a highly, highly sought-out pitching coach that has been in the game for years, very well-known around the state, very respected, uh, coached up in the Cape for years, and um, knew that he'd be someone that could get me where I needed to be. So um, went and took a visit down there and immediately fell in love with Coach Williams and um, just kind of had to have a reality check, take a step back and be like, okay, I'm not going to be out here at Carolina Stadium playing in front of 10 to 14,000, depending on if we're at LSU or at home, and be okay playing at this high school field in front of 30, 40 people. Right. So it was a big, big, big transition. Yeah, obviously, um, USC Lancaster is a little bit different from the, the bright lights of Gamecock Nation. Talk a little bit about the the different experiences you had there. What you know? What did you like about the junior college experience? How did it help you? What did you dislike? And how did you kind of change your mindset from playing at that top tier team in the Division One Power Five conferences to go into a school that, if we're being honest, is kind of in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, I'll. I'll tell you right now, I don't knock JUCO baseball one bit at all. I highly encourage it to guys that don't have the opportunity to play at the big school, but don't want to go to just some smaller D2 or even smaller D1. If your goals are set to go and play at the big school and you got a solid JUCO offer, go for it, you know, because it gives you that opportunity. But something that I found out that I was thankful for coming out of the University of South Carolina was once I got to JUCO, a lot of stuff is figuring it out on your own because you don't have the staff and the resources to do it in JUCO. So like when we go into the weight room, it was like a closet. We'd go in there and I was the only one that had come in from a big school. Everyone else had come in there out of high school. So I would go through our weight program and it wasn't anything like at South Carolina it was just kind of your basic you know squats dumbbell bench like just kind of walk through it and guys would be like okay I'm good and then like go to class but me having that experience South Carolina was like this isn't going to cut it fellas it kind of you know it gave me that ability to kind of talk to guys and be like hey like I've seen what these guys are doing at the highest level. And if you guys want to get there for the ones that do, because not everybody does for the guys that do, we need to step up what we're doing because the coaches are doing all that they can, but it's still not enough. You got to take that time after weights to go and, you know, do some extra stuff because they have to go from the weight room to the office because they have recruiting because the coaches handle everything at that level. Whereas at the highest level, you have your recruiting coordinators, your assistant coaches, whereas at JUCO, a lot of times it's one or two coaches handling everything. So they don't have time to be looking over your shoulder at everything you do and telling you, okay, 
hey, let's do this. Now let's do this. You have to do a lot on your own. So, so a big thing at that JUCO level, which we both know fairly well, is just you have to be kind of a self-starter, self-motivated. And a lot of that uh, is how players weed themselves out, right? The guys who are willing to put in that extra effort and take the extra steps to get better, uh, those are the guys that generally move on to four-year programs. Of course. It's very similar to the work ethic that you have to have in high school as far as like the resources not being there and you having to go and take matters into your own hands. Very, very similar. What What would you say is one major thing that you took away from that junior college experience and brought with you to your next stop? It taught me how to grind more on my own because I thought I had done it in high school, but when I got to college after having everything at my disposal at South Carolina and then going back to that same feeling in high school of like having limited resources in JUCO, um, it taught me how to grind it out and being like, you know, I don't feel like making myself every day go the extra mile. And it just took that discipline. So when I came to you at Upstate, I remember coming into your office multiple times having conversations of, hey, like, I'm not satisfied with this amount of this. Can we do this too? Like we would talk back and forth all the time, throwing ideas at each other. And it was just from what I had learned from the steps I had taken. And I'm extremely grateful for it because it helps me stay a student of the game and more well-rounded. So um, I'm able to take on any task that's thrown at me in my career. Yeah. And just as you mentioned with the, with your junior college experience where, you know, you talked about, telling the guys, hey, you know, you need to do more. This is not going to cut it. Same thing's true at a mid-major school like USC Upstate, where, you know, I, I specifically remember you always coming in and having those conversations and, uh, you know, pushing the envelope and asking to do more um, and trying to push guys to do more. So now this is your third stop, right? You're, you're on the South Carolina tour. So you've yes. been to Carolina, you've been to USC Lancaster, and uh, and now you're at USC Upstate, which is a mid-major. So again, compare that mid-major Division One experience to your JUCO experience and that Power Five experience. Yeah, so I'll start off by saying how I got to Upstate with you. I was getting offers out of JUCO back to other big schools. Like I was very close to going to Indiana. I know it sounds random, but they're a very good program that, you know, makes it to the College World Series pretty often, pretty consistently. Right. Um, but I was in love with my classes at South Carolina, and they stayed consistent at Lancaster, even though it was JUCO, because it was just a sister school. And I was in their business school getting my administration degree, and it's one of the best business schools in the country. And I did not want to get away from that because I was like, I've seen all the steps that I've had to take for baseball. And, you know, if I end up not getting drafted after taking all these jumps, maybe I get lost because I've moved around so much. Um, I want to have this degree. So I stayed in the system and went from Lancaster to upstate, still in the USC system. I know that's crazy, but right. um, I'm over to you guys. And it was a step up, obviously, from JUCO. The weight room was great, great strength program absolutely loved the strength program even after going through Clemson it was very 
structured and it kicked my butt and it got me where I needed to be. And, um, you know, the guys that were there, the closeness, the tight knit group that we had as our players and the friendships that I made there were some of the closest friends still to this day that I have. So um, I did find that at the biggest schools, you know, you have some guys that have egos, some guys aren't as close as they are because, you know, everybody's good. And honestly, to be the best, you got to have somewhat of an ego. You look at a guy like Chipper Jones. He comes off extremely cocky and arrogant to some people, but you got to be that way sometimes when you're going to be the best because you got to think that you are the best. Right. So at that level, the tightness of the group was – a lot more intense than anywhere else just because we all kind of were on the same level. Nobody was an all-star. I was, I was pretty good and we had, you know, everybody was pretty good. I don't want to say like I was the all-star of the team because I wasn't, I actually struggled my first year pretty hard when I got there. Um, so um, it was a transition, but it was a easier transition because I wasn't walking into um, a lion's den per se, you know, like I was when I walked into South Carolina. So fair to say that your, your opportunities, your window of opportunity was a little bigger at that mid-major program. Yes, it was because it wasn't like, you know, I went into South Carolina and they had just come off the national championships and those guys that had won those championships for them were like, Hey, like, this is my job. We just won those championships. So you guys wait your turn type of thing. Right. And it's a little bit of sink or swim when you get to that, that high of a level where there's a lot of pressure on everyone from the coaches on down to perform. Exactly. So you got to USC upstate and you even said it yourself, you struggled that first year. What do you attribute that struggle to? And how did you use that experience your first year of actually playing at the division one level? to become the the ace of the staff, the clear ace of the staff that you were that second year at Upstate? The best thing I could say for that is I didn't embrace my grasp. That's something that I live by now after learning it from, you know, a coach that I have played for. And what that means is I had made the jump from South Carolina to Lancaster, had that reality shock and then went from Lancaster to Upstate and had another reality shock because selfishly I wanted to go back to another big school. But I disciplined myself and was like, I want to finish this degree and got to Upstate. And some of the stuff that, you know, that we did, I didn't agree with as far as like, you know, some of, you know, on-field or off-field, like our workouts, some of the stuff, which I know is – things that we had talked about sure. when we'd come in and think about what was going on. And, um, yeah, so. it's, I'm not afraid to admit it either. Right. We, you and I butted heads sometimes because we both were competitive people and wanted what was best and we didn't always see eye to eye. And I think, you know, being able to work through some of those issues was in my opinion, one of the reasons why you were able to take big steps forward. Yeah. And, and honestly for me and seeing other guys too, you do have to butt heads sometimes with people because if if you have somewhere that you want to be in your career and you are doing something that you don't feel like is getting you there, you need to speak up because maybe you do have a good point or maybe you are thinking 
about something in the wrong way and maybe your coach or mentor can help put you on a straighter path. So yeah, no, we never came in and had any arguments, but we would come in and I'd be like, Hey, we're doing this. What about doing this, but also doing this or doing this contrasted with what we're doing already, you know, and we just kind of threw ideas and it made us better. It made me better. It made our pitching staff better because we threw those ideas around everybody else. So I really am thankful for, you know, that relationship that we built through that. So, um, yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point to share with high school recruits is, you know, this is something you want to figure out in the recruiting process. You want to figure out how a program is going to help you get better. These are specific questions that you should be asking, right? Because the last thing you want to do is end up at a program and then realize, well, I've been training this whole way my whole life. This is the way I view baseball. Now I'm at this program and they they've turned this world upside down and they're expecting me to train this way. So, you know, in terms of coaching philosophies and training philosophies, you know, this is I think you bring up a great point, regardless of whether you're a high school player looking to go to a four year school or a two year school or a two-year player looking to transfer to four-year school. These are issues that you need to address in the recruiting process so you know exactly what you're getting into. And like you said, you know, we both wanted the same thing. And so, you know, for me as a coach, it was excitement that you were invested enough to care and want to have conversations about how to get better. To me, you know, you would want every single one of your players to be that way. And so, you know, for you, you, you had, you struggled your first year, you really turned it around that second year at upstate. And then uh, you were set to graduate and you had some eligibility left. So take me through what your thought process was at that time and how you ended up moving on to Clemson. So I was working out back at home over Thanksgiving break in Greenville And I was talking to my trainer who is extremely brilliant, very, very bright, smart guy, and told me about that NCAA rule that I didn't even know existed. There's so many rules, you know, it's hard to kind of remember what's what. So he was asking me what my plan was. And I was like, well, I'm finishing up my classes at Upstate, but they don't have a grad program and I have another year of eligibility. And, you know, I might have a chance to sign a free agency out of here. I don't know. It's not, you know, I haven't had the best year in the world. I've done well. So I'm trying to figure out what to do. And he threw the idea. And it was, and this is, this is the rule that if you are playing at a school that doesn't have a graduate program and you have another year of eligibility left because you redshirted, which is very, very common, it's like you're starting over coming out of high school again and you can go and transfer to another division one school from the division one school that you're already at without sitting. Right. Because no no penalty to transfer. Exactly. It's not like you went and you're not happy after your freshman year, a division one, and then you go to another division one and automatically play because that's why I had to go Juco because if you go D one to D one, without a red shirt or a JUCO year, you have to sit that year. So um, it was different. And I didn't know that was 
an option. Okay, so so you, so you find out that this is an option. What what happens next? I had a previous relationship with Monty Lee, who at the time was the head coach at College of Charleston, had built a dynasty down there, took him to regional after regional and then super regional. Um, that is also a mid-major. And Coach Leggett at Clemson lost his job, and Monty had so much noise built up down there at Charleston that they offered the job to him at Clemson. So he took that job, and then two days later, I was in Clemson visiting my brother and ran into Coach Lee at a restaurant called Smoking Pig, the best barbecue in the world if you're ever in the South Carolina area. <laughs> um, it is. I got I to gotta vouch for him. Shout, shout out for Smoking Pig. There you yeah, go. It is. So I went over there and just saw him, and I was like, I, I have to say something to him. So I walked up to put my name in, and he actually saw me and came over to me. and was like, Tyler, what are you doing in the area? And I was like, came to visit my brother. But once I saw that you got this job, I honestly was like, I have to speak to him because I just found out about this rule. I want to transfer. You just got this job. I wanted to play for you at Charleston, but no hard feelings. But South Carolina was a little better than Charleston at the time. So um, I was like, this is what I can do. Like, if you want me to play for you, like, you know, you can watch me talk to my coach at upstate or whatever. He was like, yeah, cause I'd love to have you. So just go and talk to your coach, make sure it's okay. So we're not going behind his back and I'll watch and see how, you know, this year, which was my senior year, my second year at upstate is like, we'll see how it goes. If you have a good year, you know, we'll take you on. So um, that's exactly what happened. You know, I was like, okay, I'm going to hammer down again because I just had a really crappy year because I was, I was in my feelings at upstate that first year. Like this isn't where I wanted to be. This isn't the vision I saw for myself and woe is me, poor me. And then I had that opportunity thrown at me from him if you play well. So I just hammered it down. Like I had to between sophomore and junior year of high school, I did the same thing, just got after it and had the best year to date of my career and you know did what i had to do and then went on from upstate over to clemson all right so you're at clemson you have your best season yet you guys go to a regional you pitch a huge game in the regional you uh three hit shutout which i mentioned in the intro over vanderbilt uh in an elimination game which was fun to watch how did you use your experiences from your first four years to make that massive jump, uh, you know, playing the best competition you played yet? So I didn't know what to expect going into Clemson because I was going as going in as an elder. I was going in as being the same age as the oldest guys on the team. And, you know, after being at all the previous schools, I know the bonds you build over the years with playing with the same group of guys. So, I was like, I'm just going to go in as my normal self, joke around, be nice, and I should be good. And luckily, there was a great group of guys over there, so very easy to get along with everybody. The coaching staff was also young, so we all bonded very well. And I just kind of took all the bits and pieces from the different programs I had been at and the things that made me successful and combined those with what I was already doing with Clemson, which – 
I was again on the same level as South Carolina of having everything at my disposal. If I needed to do this or that, like they had it there, like any sort of machine in the weight room, all the time in the world of like, hey, I want to go and take some extra PFPs or like, you know, whatever, everything's there. So, um, you know, I was able to take the drills from each program and the mentalities and everything I learned and kind of group it into one thing and being in that environment where I had everything at my disposal to use it, it just blew my career out of the water that year at Clemson. Yeah, pretty, pretty impressive. So finally, you've, you've graduated college, um, you've played out your eligibility. In doing that, you transferred three times and played at three Division One schools in the same state, which is um, impressive and really hard to do with the current NCAA rules, but you somehow managed to, to pull it off. So you have to be some sort of transfer expert by now. What advice would you have for a player going through that transfer process? What did you learn from your experiences transferring that you could pass along to someone who has to do the same thing? I would say go in freshman year with your eyes open. Don't get lost in all the lights and all the fans, especially to the guys going to the big schools. Don't get lost in, oh, I'm playing for so-and-so. Look at me. Because it's so easy to get lost in the mix and plateau and then your career is just gone before you wake up and realize what happened. Um, so keep your eyes open and see, you know, what opportunities that you're going to get or opportunities that you're not going to get that you thought that you may have. Um, and if your goal is to play professional baseball and you're not getting the opportunities that you need, then I would go and look at other programs. There's nothing wrong with that. People transfer all the time. It's very, very common. So you need to be in a program that has the workouts that work best for you and the throwing program that works best. If you go to a school that has a dictator of a coach that's like you need to throw this way and lift this way and it doesn't work for you, then seek out other schools. You know, there's plenty out there. And also, do not get caught in the bright lights coming out of high school. If you have the offer from the top school, but there's a million kids signed there, you know, be sure that you have an opportunity to actually play there because like me, you might end up going through a whirlwind of things that, you know, who knows if I would have gone to a different school and stayed there consistently. Maybe I would have been drafted earlier and be better off in my career than I am right now currently you know so there's plenty of things I can point back to to say just go in with your eyes open and have a plan yeah I think you hit the nail on the head there with the plan and not only when you get to the school but beforehand like we talked about you know doing your homework and really uh, crossing your t's and dotting your i's with your research to make sure that the program is a fit for you um all right, so let's just, you know, we've, we've talked about a lot here. Let's peel back the layers a little bit more on the different levels of college baseball. What should a high school player 
who's sitting at home right now listening to us talk know about the different levels of college baseball you know what what lessons would you pass on from your college baseball experience what are what are the main things that you think that they should know it doesn't matter what level you go to all the guys are very similar very cool um your group is probably going to be tighter at the JUCO smaller D1 level, like I said, because you're going to have your, you know, your your big guys at the big schools and everyone's got their little cliques or whatever. But um, it's all in what you want, what your personality is, what's going to put what environment is going to make you perform the best. Um, whereas with me, I need that supportive group where we're all close, moving in the same direction. I don't work well with cliques. Um, so that's one thing you're going to get signed out of any level of school. If you're good enough, you do not have to go to the UCLA, the USC, the South Carolina, the Clemson or Florida or wherever to get drafted. You don't plenty of guys get drafted out of JUCO. Um, you can go JUCO for two years and get drafted and be out. Whereas once you go to college or division one, you got to be there for three years or till you're 21. So there's plenty of opportunities. So don't think just because you might go to upstate out of high school, be like, I'm not going to get drafted out of here because there's not enough scouts. If you're good and you're making enough noise, they'll find you. I promise. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm interpreting you, uh correctly the main theme there is find your fit and find a place exactly yeah awesome um so you've talked a little bit about the workouts uh kind of more broadly um tell our listeners about about college baseball workouts and strength and conditioning how can they prepare for the strength and conditioning programs that they're going to encounter at the college level okay just be open to anything and everything because there's going to be a lot of new things that you'll, you'll do movements that you didn't even know existed and it's going to make you sore and it's going to suck and you're going to wake up and have to do it again tomorrow. So um, just be open because every program's different. Some programs like to get up and do their workouts at five 30 in the morning. Yeah, that sounds terrible, but you got to do it because everybody's doing it. And then there's some programs that like to lift in the afternoons at two after practice. So, you know, ask those questions. What are workout times? What, what movements, what do you like to do squats? What are the variations that you like to do for that? Like ask questions of what they like to do because, you know, certain movements for guys, as far as building their bodies work better than something that another guy may do. So um, ask those questions and just, do the best that you can with what workouts you're given. Don't go into it and be like, oh, this isn't what I wanted to do today because they're making the workouts to benefit you and, you know, get you to where you want to be. So they're not doing it because they don't like you. You might have a really hard workout, but it's to make you better. So just be open to anything they might throw at you. And um, it's going to get hard because especially in the fall, you're doing it every day and going to class and then coming to practice in front of nobody. And it's a grind. But then once you get to spring, it's like you're on vacation. You get to go and play. And all that practice that you put in, 
you know, the weightlifting just kind of, you know, it's not to get up at 5.30 in the morning and go. It's, you know, just maintaining through the season. So, you know, just really get after it in the fall once you get there. I'm really glad you brought up that distinction between the fall and the spring because a lot of first-year players and young players really struggle with that fall, right? Because as you mentioned, you're working out and you're sore, right? And so you're still expected to go out there and perform on the baseball field while lifting four or five days a week. You're sore and you look at the radar gun, uh, you look at your performance and you might think, well, hey, this isn't really helping me get any better, right? And then, you know, you grind through it all fall, you get to the spring. And like you said, you know, call it vacation. It's almost like you have the reins released, right? And you can just, you can go. Now all that work that you've put in during the fall has accumulated and built up over time and puts you in a much better position for success when it matters in the spring. Yes. Do not get into school at the beginning of fall and waste the first couple of weeks just being like, oh, this is so new and kind of shy away. Yeah. Like go after it from the beginning because that fall is all that you have because you're not going to be working to get bigger, stronger, faster in the spring. That's when it's time to play. You play and then your workouts are to maintain and keep you healthy away from injury. So um, it is frustrating. I remember throwing bullpens and in inner squads in the fall and then seeing the below chart and I'm topping out at 88 miles an hour and looking at some of the other pictures and being like, holy crap, like my body is killing me and I'm topping out at 88 right now. And this was in the middle of the fall. And then I remember you having to tell me, Hey, you know, it's, you know, it's your body right here in the fall and the spring, it won't be the same. And then I remember you coming up to me middle of the game when I was pitching against South Carolina, ironically, and I was throwing 90 to 95. And you looked at me like, Hey, I told you, like it was completely different. So it's not going to be fun, but it's for your benefit to grind it out in the fall. So you reap the benefits in the spring. Yeah, that's a great point. I probably also told you, Stop throwing so many breaking balls because you're blowing your fastball by him. But I, that, I wasn't used to throwing that hard. <laughs> that's a different conversation. Um, what about college college baseball, like daily life? What do kids need to know? Um, I have a schedule. You're usually going to get a schedule from your coach or your administrators, your advisor, which is the beauty in being an athlete in college. But – you also need to discipline yourself because you're going to have the temptations of going out with your friends and staying out till 2 a.m., but you got a 5, 30, 6 a.m. workout. Um, and are you going to go out and then come in and feel like crap going into your workout and pretty much just waste your time but still be miserable because you're having to go through the workout? So um, having a plan and disciplining yourself so that, you're able to go through practice every day with all the energy that you have and, you know, be focused and know that you're putting in the work that needs to be put in. And it's not going to be easy because you're going to go from workouts in the morning to class all day. And then you're going to leave class and go to practice for another few hours. And then you got to go to study hall, especially that freshman year study hall hours are required. So that's a day where you're waking up at 5.30 in the morning 
and you're not getting home until 9 30 10 o'clock at night and you're not getting a paycheck for this you're getting a scholarship that is probably not even 100 percent because right football's the only sport that's doing that and maybe a couple basketball players get that but it's it's a grind i know i keep saying grind but it's what it is and you know once you put in that work and you get drafted and you make it to the big leagues and you're making half a million a year minimum, it's worth it. I promise you, like, I'm work, still working right now as we're on the phone to get there through the minor leagues. And, you know, it, it will be worth it one day if you do it the right way, I promise you. Yeah, and certainly regardless of whether you make it, putting in that effort and learning the life skills that you're learning is going to serve you well no matter what you do kind of bring our conversation about your college experience to a close, you know, knowing what you know now and experiencing what you did, bouncing around and getting to, to have a taste of different levels of college baseball. If you could give advice to say 14 year old Tyler Jackson about the college baseball recruiting process and the college search, what would you tell him? I would tell him at the time, Continue to, you know, look out for which way your career is going to take you because you're probably still playing a couple sports. Just keep your eyes open and then make that decision in a couple years and then go after it 100% and don't get lost in, oh, the biggest school is recruiting me. Like I stated earlier, like I said earlier in the podcast, Go to the school that best fits you, that's going to give you the best opportunity, that also has a program that fits your needs. Because you may want to go to the big school, but it may not give you the opportunity or build you up as a player, build your body and your mind where it needs to be to go to the professional level. Just be smart about it. And just because it's the biggest and the brightest doesn't mean that it's the best for your career. Yeah, great point. Keep your eyes open and and keep your options open, right? Explore all your opportunities. I love that. Yes, I would definitely say write down what you want as far as like I want, you know, I like this sort of, you know, conditioning weight program. Like this is the type of, you know, see the drills they do at practice. You know, I, I want to take these classes in school. What schools offer this? I want this degree. Um, go and look at their track history of what guys get signed out of these schools if you want to play professionally. You know, do your homework. Don't go in it blind. And just because the biggest school comes after you and you have no plan, you're going to go with them because they're the biggest and the best, supposedly. You know what, man? I think you're a pretty good spokesperson for – keep playing baseball because sounds like a recording of what we say in our articles and our podcasts. So glad to hear that you're reinforcing some of that stuff um, without, without even thinking about it, but let's transition to where you're at now, man. So let's talk about your professional experience um, and your, your current training with Caressi performance down in Florida. What, uh, what are some of the biggest differences between college baseball and pro ball? It's very different. You're playing every single day. You get roughly a day and a half 
off a month and it's at the field for 12 hours a day every single day during season monday through sunday don't even know what day is what because it's the same schedule every day you don't see your family it's a grind um but it's what i and all the other guys doing have worked our whole lives for and it's the most rewarding job ever. You meet so many people. You get so many opportunities because of who you are and what you do. You also, the other beauty of it is you get a long off season. It's a lot of time to be home. Yeah, you're away for a while, but I get to come home and be home for a while too. But I still get my workouts and train and I'm going down to Florida every couple of weeks and, you know, getting my work in there and getting my program. So, um, I definitely stay after it, but it's discipline that I learned from college. You just got to stay after it because at this level, it is the best of the best. And you thought you worked hard to this point like I have, but everybody else is doing the same too at this level. Yeah, it seems like each level you get to, right? You think you worked hard and then you get to the next level and then you learn how to really work hard and you get to the next level, you learn how to really work hard. Talk about some of that hard work. Uh, talk about the work that you're doing with Cressy in Florida. What does that entail on a day-to-day basis, and, and what's your focus? Yeah, so like I've said about keeping your eyes open, and you know, it's something that, I, that I've learned from going from place to place. I like to pick up things from other guys that are the best. So I look at guys like Max Scherzer, Noah Syndergaard, two guys that train with Cressy that are amazing pitchers and Eric Cressy has just built his brand as the guru of pitchers and training them and mobility and strength. Um, So I researched his stuff and talked to a couple guys um, that I played with this year that have trained with him in the past and had heard nothing but good things. And I was like, you know, if the best of the best are using this, that's probably what I should at least check out and see how my body responds. So um, I shot him an email and, um, you know, he, he said, as soon as season ends, come on down to Florida and see me. He's got a place in Mass and also down in Florida. So he's like, I'll be in Florida in the off season because it's way too cold up up north in the winter. So went down and saw him immediately after season ended. And again, it's just discipline. Yeah, season just ended. I haven't seen my family in seven months. And I just go straight down to Florida to see him. He, you know, assesses me, checks me out, and we see what my weaknesses are. And I tell him my goals and tell him where I'm at. And, you know, we write out a personalized plan that's specific to my needs. And, um, I've just been getting after it. And it's honestly the best program that I've ever been on. And I'm extremely thankful for what I learned in college as far as like bouncing around and picking up things from different people that makes them the best and, you know, using it to my advantage. Yeah. So what are some of your focuses in your workouts this off season? I'm trying to smoothen up my arm path. I've always been really long. Um, in the back, like I get really long and sometimes I'll miss arm side when I'm trying to go glove side. 
So I'm working on, um, you know, shortening that up with um, our pitching guy down there that he, he has everybody. He's got physical therapists. He's got himself who does the strength training and mobility. Then he's got his, his pitching guy. So I'm doing that with our pitching guy down there. And then Eric wrote out a program for me because um, I need to round out my back a little more when I get to extension. I'm not staying through it long enough to get it there glove side consistently. Um, so I'm doing a lot of movements with that. I'm destroying my legs because I'm usually 6'6", 208 to 212. Um, I've never been above 212, but I just got on the scale this morning, 6'6", 220. Uh, so nice. I'm just, just getting after it, eating everything in the house. Our grocery bills outrageous at home. So my parents aren't happy. <laughs> um, so, um, just getting after it. It's, it's an everyday thing year round. Um, even when you're home in the quote off season, um, it, it's work every day and it's something that you have to love. And I do, I love it. What's been the biggest eye opener or change when comparing your off season training um, from the past to what you're doing now? It's on my own. I'm at home. Yes, I'll go over to Clemson. Um, usually right now it's one day a week on one of my leg lifts just because the equipment that I need, they have there and they don't have it. Uh, the gym that's closer to my house because um, Clemson's like 30, 40 minutes away, whereas the gym here is like five minutes away. So um, I can do everything else other than that one day closer to home. Um, so I'll go over there for that. But it's, I don't have a coach over my shoulder telling me what to do. I have this program that I built with Cressy, and I have to wake myself up every day, go over there and not skip a rep, not skip a movement because, oh, I, I'm sore or whatever. I have to listen to my body, make sure I'm not like hurt or anything, but it's making myself do it every single day because of what I've seen during season and the seeing, seeing guys down at Cressy when I'm down there that are big leaguers, seeing their work ethic. And even though I'm not around them, just keeping that in my head, knowing what they're doing, that I have to hold myself to the same standard. So is there anything that you know now about training that you wish you had known back in high school or college that you could pass along to those guys who might be listening so they can improve their chances of getting where you're at right now? Just the variations. Um, I was so basic with my lifts coming up in high school um, because you know, your trainers in high school or, you know, most of them didn't play pro ball. Obviously, I don't mean to knock anybody, but it's just what it is. Um, so they're pretty basic, just your normal squats, all this stuff and all the different movements that I know now that are so much more beneficial. Like, yes, squats are good and yes, do them. But doing that along with these other movements like single leg movements and then all these other movements for lat strength and these different stretches to be flexible to get to a better release point that's farther out and getting your hips flexible so your stride length is long and just research and talk to people you know all the different movements that are beneficial watch youtube videos you got to go and go that extra mile than what is required by your coaches 
so you can have your own plan. Do not do what everybody else does and cut it off at that just because it's required because that will make you just as good as everybody else and won't make you the best and differentiate you from somebody else. Love it, man. Love it. I mean, you've uh, you've absolutely crushed you know, 70 plus minutes here on on the pod. Um, so I just I have one more question. I don't want to keep you here all day. Yeah, of course. You know, from what you've described, you're, you're super busy. Um, but I want to ask you to dig deep on this last question here. Now, I, I know you personally, you have a bright future ahead of you, regardless of how your baseball career pans out. But what I want to know is what have you learned from your experience playing college and, and now professional baseball that's going to help you for your life once you decide to hang them up? It's taught me discipline, um, discipline, um, accountability, holding myself accountable to do the best that I can and all that I do, because it is so, so, so hard to even get to the point where I'm at and I'm not even in the big leagues yet. Um, so just taking that energy and effort and putting into everyday life, um, whether that's playing baseball or working a normal job, because even working a normal job, that's going to get you your promotion, moving you up. Um, it's going to make you a better partner. When you get married, you're going to wash the dishes when you're supposed to, rather than, rather than leaving them in the sink, because (laughs) you know, that being a slacker is going to get you nowhere. It's not going to make you successful. Um, it's making you a better son because you know to look out for your parents as you're looking out for your brothers on the field. You know, it's just makes you better all around. It helps you be on time because God knows if you're late for a workout in college, you're not even going to be working out. You're just going to be running until you throw up. So, uh, it just anything and everything I could go on for days, just invaluable things that just make your life so much easier and makes you do things that you don't even realize. And people will call you out and be like, wow, that's so awesome that you do that. Like you're never late or, you know, you always, you know, are thinking outside of the box or going the extra mile. And, you know, it's so different, but it's just second nature to you because it's what you've always done. Um, So that's the biggest thing for me. I honestly could go on for days about it. That's awesome. We we won't make you do that. I think that's a an awesome way to kind of cap off this action packed episode, man. I think I I think um, you know what you gave the listeners out there is just absolute gold. You know, I think there's going to be a ton that they can take away from your experience. You know, which wasn't the typical experience, but you've handled that adversity and come out on the other side. And I think you know, your success as a professional baseball player and, you know, moving forward in your life is going to reflect that. So, you know, really appreciate you joining us and taking your time out to share your experience with the next generation of recruits. And um, it sounds like you got a lot more stories and advice in the tank. So we'll have to have you back on for another conversation at some point down the road. Well, thank you, Ethan. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. And anybody listening to this podcast that's new or people that stay loyal, please, please listen and take to what I've said to heart and anybody that Ethan has on here because Ethan 
uh, from working with him knows exactly what he's talking about. He's been there. He's done that. He's been all around the country doing baseball, out of the country doing baseball. Um, so, so much experience that he can pass on. So um, definitely listen to everything that he has to offer. Appreciate the kind words, man. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Good luck with the rest of those workouts, all right? Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, Tyler. Take it easy. Thanks for tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you have questions or need more information on the recruiting process or player development, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. We're also very active on social media. You can find us on Twitter at KeepPlayingBB, Facebook, KeepPlayingBaseball, and Instagram at KeepPlayingBaseball. If you've found this podcast to be helpful, please take the time to leave us a review and give us five stars. That'll help other people find our podcast and get access to great free information. We'll be back at it with a new episode soon, but until then, take care.